I was uh, thinking with it being the 4th of July weekend and summer and all of that, what's your, what's your favorite ice cream? <laughs> I have different kinds. If I'm at Brahms, I like chocolate almond. If I'm at Baskin Robbins, I like their chocolate peanut butter. If I'm making it homemade, I like Butterfinger. I mean, it can be whatever. And, uh, you know, isn't it interesting? We live in a time where you can get ice cream all year long. Now, you go back <clears throat> decades ago, and ice cream was a luxury, and only for the very rich, even people like King Solomon couldn't have a, a, even a cold drink or ice anytime he wanted it. It had to be brought in from the mountains, and a tough thing, but we can have it any other time anytime we want and virtually anything we want and then I thought it's kind of like going to church on Sunday morning pick out your flavor what flavor do you want what flavor do you want and uh, in terms of commitment you don't hear much about that anymore you don't see much of that <clears throat> pardon me anymore and if you get tired or bored with one flavor what do you do you go get another one Go try something else out. And uh, then sometimes you just take a break. I don't really feel like ice cream right now. And so you don't have anything to do with it at all. Church, a lot of times, is kind of like ice cream and uh, picking out ice cream. Should it be that way? You know, sometimes we talk about things in terms of church and we say these are things that should never change. Um, I kind of feel like that. And when I put the title of this, what I want to say today together, some things should never change. And then I thought, yeah, they should. They should get better. They should get better. And uh, this idea of picking out the flavor of the month of whatever ice cream we want is killing us. It's killing us. It's having a bad and negative effect on our culture. It's having a negative and bad effect on our families, I think that's really, really, really obvious. It's having a bad effect on us because it means our walk with God and our spiritual, hate to say this word, don't you hate to hear this now? Disciplines suffer. And yet those are the things that have made us what we are, have brought us to this point these are the things that we are enriched by from previous generations. They feed us. And yet in this day where we always want <clears throat> something new, something untraditional, something that's unlike anything you've ever seen before. I mean, every movie is unlike anything you've ever seen before. Rarely delivers. And yet I've heard advertisements for church this is not your grandfather's church. And that type of thing, on one hand, can be good if we're improving and being what God wants us to be. Being more biblical, being more effective. It can also kill us if it is taking us away from our roots. If you want to kill a plant, disturb its roots and see what happens to it. Go to a tree, and go and start digging, and wherever you find roots, go all the way around the circumference of the tree, and uh, take an axe, and chop off all of the roots, and watch what happens. The tree is going to suffer, the tree will probably die, and the tree has a good chance of being blown over in the next storm. And I see that some of our restlessness and longing for something new <clears throat> and abandoning everything else that's going on is killing, killing the church at large. It's causing us to have ill health. We have a lot of churches, a lot of people in church, and a lot of big churches, and our morals are being flushed down the toilet. Our ethics are doing the same thing. What's going on? And when hard times come, we topple because we're not rooted and we're not grounded in the things of God. And because of that, I felt impressed to kind of go over some things today that uh, I want to uh, 
share with you on my heart because there are a lot of has-beens in this world today. The other day on uh, Facebook, I saw a thing that said celebrities as they look now. And I didn't have to do anything. It was one of those that kind of automatically came up. And I just watched it for a while. Oh, my goodness. Some of the people that were the big stars and the beautiful people when I was a teenager, some of them have had so much plastic surgery, they look like a monster now. They really do. Look like a nightmare. And their names, that if I were to name them, only the old people would know who they were. But most everybody else would have. Who in the world is that? Because they are what we would call a has-been. Got to thinking about that as well. I can drive over, especially South Oklahoma City, and I can take you to places where back in 1980, when I moved here, there was a thriving, booming church that's now shut down. Several of you went to Southwood Baptist Church. You go over there now and it's a car lot. Right? Other things like that that you see and that you hear. And we have has-been churches. Now let's be fair. I think probably every church has a lifespan. We have a lot of has-been churches in the New Testament, don't we? Seven churches in Revelation. Anybody know where they are? Anybody know anybody that's a member of one of those churches? Anybody know who the pastor is of those churches? Anybody know about the missionary work of any of those churches? No, they're, they're gone. They're gone. And probably every church has some degree of a lifespan just like we do. Things change. There are some of the churches that I could take you to that no longer exist. And it's because they don't speak the language of their neighborhood anymore. The neighborhood has changed. So why would somebody who speaks Spanish come to a church where all they speak is English? They're probably going to go to a Spanish-speaking church. Sometimes it uh, changes economically. And uh, what used to be a thriving, prosperous, up-and-coming, upwardly mobile neighborhood of people that were ambitious and working hard and building businesses and accumulating wealth, those kind of things. Well, now that neighborhood's not like that anymore. And so uh, to go into a building that has chandeliers and all of this kind of stuff is very intimidating to some of those people. So they don't go to that church. They may go to a church somewhere else, but not that one. Sometimes that's the problem. Sometimes you look around and you can see churches that used to be in a thriving residential growing area, maybe after World War II, and now it's more of a warehouse industrialized type thing and nobody really lives in that I mean there are just different things that happen but sometimes and this is the thing that I want uh, really to address under the scene is in Revelation chapter 2 the Lord says to a church unless you repent I will remove your lampstand you know what that means I built you up I can shut you down. I brought you in. I can take you out. And that indeed is what happened to those seven churches in Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. And I'm convinced it happens today too. If a church is not obedient to Christ, if they don't have the right things in place and the right motives, then why should they exist? Why should God let them exist? Or, sadly, sometimes they go on. And they go on and on and on with the identity of a church, but they don't look anything like a church. They don't believe what a church should believe. There are a lot of liberal churches today. They don't act the way a church ought to act. In fact, they're nothing more than just a social club or something like that. Something like VFW or American Legion or something like that. They just call themselves a church, but they don't really do church things. They don't really believe church things anymore. There are a lot of churches, quote-unquote, that gather today where nobody will even crack open a Bible. And if they do, it's taken out of context or used for some other purpose that is not godly and not holy and not edifying. 
Other places have abandoned any sense of morality or right or wrong and anything goes and whatever you want to be and whoever you are, uh, that's the way it is. There's no standard of sanctification. There's no righteousness or anything like that. Other churches still gather, but you don't ever hear the gospel. You don't hear about the cross. You don't hear about the penal substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. You don't hear about the resurrection. And you would never hear about the infallibility and inerrancy of the word of God. Because it's just a book. It's a fantasy book. It's a fairy tale book. It's a a book that just kind of, you know, has some neat thoughts in it. But it's no more authoritative than Shakespeare or anything else and we may study it as literature but it has no impact over our lives and so when we think about these kind of things that are going on today we need to ask the question why should anybody come to church why should anybody come even to our church if we're just going to be the flavor of the month what's in today is going to be replaced by somebody else later on and that's why the church's Uh, quest for the last 30 years we're going to be relevant we're going to be on the cutting edge with the cutting edge keeps changing how do you keep up with all of that what is in today is out tomorrow and what is cool today is traditional tomorrow all of these things we age pastors age congregations age and all of these things kind of change we've got to be built upon things that are timeless things that are consistent, and things that were the only change that we have is for the better. Better, being more biblical, more honoring to Christ, more evangelistic, more those type of things. Not less, but more. I always think about what the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? As is the manner of some, and we sure see that, but all the more he says not less more more as you see the day approaching well we don't believe the bible anymore so we don't believe that verse we think it's better to have less we think it's better to be looking the wrong way when we approach the end of the age and so we wonder what happens and so uh, a lot of these churches that we talk about are now has-beens for 2,000 years and even into recent times. They're out of sync. They are out of sorts. They can't even get along with each other. They're out of social favor because some churches are out of uh, existence because of persecution and things like that. I mean, a lot of things we could actually say about those things. But uh, here's, here's the bottom line. I don't want us to be one of those churches. I think we've got maybe 10 years before we do. And so this is a wake-up call to say, what are we going to do with this? And what are we going to do about this so that we don't end up uh, like some of these other churches on the ash heap of human history? Don't want that. Don't want that. I love you too much. And uh, I don't want that for uh, me, my family, or people that I love either. So let's talk about these things. What do we build on that never changes except to become better? Except to become better. I've preached on this before, but this is uh, a time for a repeat. We need to rethink about these things. So number one, why do we exist? Number one, we exist to exalt Jesus Christ. We've got to get that in our minds. We have children's church so that the kids will have fun and won't be bored in big church. Wrong answer. We have a student ministry so that we can do enough activities to attract kids in and keep them from leaving the church. Wrong answer. We have preaching services so that we will learn our doctrine. We want to have doctrinal soundness. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Everything we do as a church and everything that you do even as an individual ought to have the first answer should be for the exaltation 
of Jesus Christ. Why did I get up this morning? For the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Why did I run into that person at the, at the gas station? For the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Why did I get a paycheck? For the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Why did I give that offering? For the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Why did I help out in that ministry? For the exaltation of Jesus Christ. In fact, every ministry of the church, every Sunday school class, every Everything that we do, it ought to be that what comes out of our mouth first and foremost, if anybody says, why do you do this? It should never be about us. It ought to always be about him. This class, this ministry, my life, my family, whatever it is, exists for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Everything we do for him and for his glory. Think about these scriptures. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do uh, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us, be, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think right the glory of God and then it says in there that Christ is to be glorified in the church Christ is to be glorified in the church there are churches today where they will talk about everything but Jesus Christ and when they do it's not in a way that glorifies him it's in a way that demeans him that makes him just one of us just one of the guys just a person who is no different than us and we can never let that happen everything for the glory of Christ what about first Peter 2 verse 4 coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by God and precious if you also, uh, you also being stones, are being built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe... Okay, now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and have been born again, I want you to say amen. This is to you. To you who believe. He is precious. So I guess the question would be, is he? But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. See, there are a lot of people, they don't love Jesus. They stumble over him. He trips them up. He keeps them from doing what they really want to do. And one day the Bible says that restraint will be gone, and that's called the Great Tribulation. But the desire of the human heart is still that way. There's just something that trips them up and keeps them from doing governmentally and politically and religiously and morally and all of that, everything that they want to do. So which is he to you today? Is Jesus precious to you? Do you love him? Do you serve him? Do you pray to him? Do you read his word? Do you give to his cause? Do you conform your life to what he wants? Are you loving Jesus? Is he precious or is he in your way? Is he the thing that keeps you from really doing what you would really like to do? Oh, oh, we have to go to church today. Really? Not if Jesus is precious. It makes it all different, all the difference in the world. And they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but have now obtained mercy. Hear what he's saying? You were called so that you could exalt Christ and show his excellencies. How are you doing? This is important because this keeps us from becoming just another social club. Why do you go to church? Oh, I have great friends there. Why do you go to church? Well, there's just some good moral teaching there that goes on. I mean, those things may not be wrong, but they fall far short of what we really are here for, to exalt Jesus Christ. He is precious to us. Number two, we are here to equip the saints. Okay, by saints... We don't mean some special class of people that you make statues out of and that you pray to in the upper echelon or something like that. No, in the Bible, saints are just simply us, believers. It means holy. It means the set-apart ones. That's who we are. And we're here to equip the saints because you can't make it on your own. One of the things uh, as we start studying this morning in Sunday school about Daniel is uh, he was quite a guy by himself. And his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were quite good friends, and they were amazing by themselves. They withstood the fiery furnace and wouldn't bow before the king's idol, right? But then when you put them together, that's when amazing things start happening. They were able to not only interpret the king's dream, but they told him what the dream was. There's some debate as to whether Nebuchadnezzar remembered his dream or not that uh, some scholars think he just forgot it. And he's saying, if you are really a wise man, you tell me what I dreamed and what it means. And you know, all of the astrologers and the magicians, they couldn't do it, but Daniel did. Why? Because he met together with his friends beforehand and they prayed to the God of heaven and God answered that prayer. What kind of people do you surround yourself with? Are they pulling you up or pulling you down? Now, you didn't hear me say isolate yourselves from all of the bad people or bad friends or anything. I was kind of raised that way. We would be told when we were teenagers, you know, you should not have lost friends. And then on high attendance day, we were told, bring your lost friends to church. Never made any sense. I don't have any. You told me not to. You told me to cut all of that off. And so we've got to be careful that we don't become just a group of isolated snobs because that's the kiss of death. But it does say that we have to equip the saints. We need one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to help one another. We need to teach one another. The teaching shouldn't be just simply from the pulpit. That's why we have Sunday school classes and other Bible studies that go on. Because people need to hear a, another voice besides mine saying the same things. We learned this when Sammy and I were raising our children. There'd be things we would drill into their head, drill into their head, drill into their head. And then they would come home and they would tell us, Oh, Brother Greg, in the youth meeting tonight, he said this and this. We've never heard that before. It's so wonderful. And it's like, oh, I want to bang my head against a wall. We've been telling you that. Well, sometimes people respond to a different voice. And sometimes you hear things when you hear it from a different voice. And that's why we teach each other. That's why we share these things with each other. It equips us. How do you handle rebellious children? How do you handle a wife that wants a divorce? How do you handle a cheating husband? How do you handle alcoholism in your family? How do you handle all of these different things? We've got to help each other through these kind of things. You're not going to get these answers most likely just from one hour a week or so. You're going to get those as you spend time together. That's why even tonight you're going to be eating hot dogs and hamburgers. What's spiritual about that? You might be surprised what is spiritual about that as friendships are formed, as bonds are strengthened, and sometimes somebody might get an answer from you that they would never hear from me. And that is an important and amazing thing. We're all involved in this. And that's why Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says... So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
See, it's only as the congregation, as the saints, as the believers do the ministry. This is a ministry that is shared among all of us. And it's only as we do these things. Nobody has to give you a ministry. You have and you are a ministry. As you raise your family, as you are a godly husband and wife, as you are teaching your children the Bible, as you are witnessing for Christ, as you are living a life that is moral and biblical in front of other people as you shine as lights in a dark world that's where your ministry starts and see the problem is nowadays we have a lot of people that have ministry in title but not a ministry in lifestyle they bypass that that's nothing that's for the nobodies i want to be the somebody who has a title has a position and your life doesn't match up with the title and everybody goes ah you're a phony and you're a fake and they go on but when your life is there then people are more than willing to listen to you and the title comes by the calling of God, not by the achievement of man. And that's why, as you've heard before, you can have, either have an achieved ministry that will fail or you can have a received ministry that God gives you as you live for his honor and glory. So our job is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is you, me, this is everybody. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks of you a reason for the hope that is in you. So are they seeing hope or depression in you? Are they seeing hope or despair in you? Are they seeing hope or are they seeing just, I don't care, apathy, I've given up? What are they seeing in you? And the second question would be this. How long has it been since anybody even asked you about the hope? That you have in your life. Well, what's going on? Because Peter seems to give us the idea. That as we grow in the Lord. People are going to see a hope in us. That they don't have. And they're going to ask questions. And we've got to be ready. To give those answers. And that's part of why we preach. Through books of the Bible. Most times. I know we've taken a little break from it. Since Mother's Day. But um, generally we preach through books of the Bible. Why? It is not important for you to hear me. It is not important for you to quote me. It is not important for you to be entertained or inspired by me. Take me out of it. We come here today to exalt Jesus Christ and to equip you. And the only thing that will equip you is the word of God. Not a bumper sticker. Not a saying that's worthy of Twitter but the Word of God. And so even when you go through the parts of the Word of God that bore you, give you an Andy O'Kelly quote here, if you can't endure what bores you, you'll never fully enjoy and apply what delights you. It's all the Word of God. And you've got to learn and know the Word of God. You've got to be able, as Peter says here, to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. <clears throat> Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires. See, it's not about exalting Christ. It's what I want. It's about my needs. It's about my happiness. It's about my fulfillment. You know, everybody says, you need a purpose-driven life. Tell that to Daniel when you get to heaven. You've got to live out your passion. And if you don't have a passion, you shouldn't be doing it. Tell that to the apostles when you get to heaven. They worked as they were assigned. And it was difficult. And they paid for it many times with their lives. They didn't do what they liked. They didn't do what was fun. They did what they were called to do for the glory of Jesus Christ. Why are we not winning that battle in our culture? Well, there you go. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, 
Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. That's how you fulfill your ministry. It's not by the church giving you a job. It's by the commission of Holy Scripture. Do those things that Paul told Timothy. And this keeps us from becoming liberal, worldly, and defeated. It's been heartbreaking to see how many Southern Baptist churches now that end uh, Defiance of our Baptist faith and message are ordaining women to be pastors of local churches. It's amazing to see how many churches are starting to open the door to say to LGBTQAI, you can go on and on depending on what you've listened to last, right? And they're always welcome in our church. Homosexuals, transgender are always welcome to come hear the gospel with us. And you be nice to them and be friendly to them. But they are not qualified to be members of our church until they're born again and they repent. They're not eligible to serve in our church until they are repent, until they repent, are born again, baptized, and become a member of the church. Why is that important? Because there are churches now, prominent churches in the Southern Baptist Convention that are proudly saying in uh, podcasts and other things that we have LGBT people serving in our church. This kind of thing is what happens when you don't equip the saints. To our shame, <clears throat> I heard a Presbyterian preacher this week listening to him while I was walking. And uh, he said that back in Kentucky and the frontier of old, he said that uh, if somebody from an Anglican church or a Presbyterian church said, God has called me to preach, the church shipped that person back east and they were schooled for seven years undergrad and graduate work seven years before they could pastor a church. And then he said, but if you were a Baptist, all they did was take you and lay hands on you and say, okay, you're a preacher, go after it. And he said, and that's why Baptists grew faster than the other groups. He said, but that's why it had such little impact. You know, when you think about those kind of things, equipping the saints, equipping the saints, maybe... When I went to, uh, I won't say which church it was, I went to a church to be a pastor, and uh, after the evening service, a man, a deacon, came up to me and he goes, man, it is so good to hear something besides the prodigal son. I said, well, what's wrong with the prodigal son? And he said, nothing until you've heard it every week. All they ever heard was get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved, get saved. And it let the people in the church go, hmm, I'm already saved. I'm cool. Everything's groovy with me, right? They didn't grow. They didn't grow because they weren't being equipped. We preach the word because it is a biblical mandate that we equip the saints for the works of service. So learn and get to work. Learn and get to work. Learn and get to work. For what? The exaltation of Christ. These are all going to link up together. So equipping the saints keeps us from becoming liberal, worldly, and defeated. Number three, we exist to evangelize the lost. Evangelize the lost. That means give them the gospel. And that's all of us. Not just an evangelist, not just a staff member, all of us. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Greek. Notice how it's a universal application. Matthew 9, 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful. What's the problem? But the laborers are few. Nobody wants to go work in the field. It's hot. It's tiring. It's boring. It's unproductive sometimes. Yet that's where the action is, folks. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Makes me wonder if you're not a witness, do you have the Holy Spirit? And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it means you're not saved. Saved people witness is what Jesus is saying. And you're going to do it in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts 
of the earth. It's all of those places, all the time, simultaneously, that is going on. You, me, everybody, as we are given opportunity. And this keeps us from becoming exclusive, self-righteous, self-righteous, and unloving. Don't care about those people out there. Well, you better. You're commanded to love your enemies. That would pretty much include everybody, right? So we're to evangelize the lost. Why do we do that? Because that's a part of the equipping of the saints. You grow and you become stronger every time you witness. Every time you don't know an answer. Every time your palms get sweaty and your heart beats fast. Every time you go to a house and you knock on the door and you go, well, I guess nobody's home. And you head out. You get stronger every time you do that. Every time you go with somebody and you hear them witness. Every time you go with somebody and they pray for you as you witness. Every time that happens, you grow stronger. Why? And Christ is exalted. Because every time you share the good news of Jesus, that person that might have been there who only knows the name of the Lord as a cuss word, you're bringing in the name of the Lord as a powerful, sovereign God and the Savior of the world. The exaltation of Christ, the equipping of the saints, and the evangelization of the lost. The most unlikely people get saved when you witness to them. And we don't ever want to become unloving, just judgmental and angry and all of that. We don't want to be an exclusive little club here. We want to reach out to other people. And number four, we exist to engage the culture. I saw a book title one time and it said, Out of the salt shaker and into the world. Out of the salt shaker and into the world. You know what? The church is like the salt shaker. Jesus said we're the salt of the earth. But it's not really needed right in here to the degree that it's needed out there. The light is gathered in here. But we don't really need the light in here as much as it is needed out there. We've got to go where the meat is rotting. We've got to go where everything is dark. And that's where we really shine for the Lord. If you go back to 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Then my question again is, is anybody asking? Are you ever around anybody who doesn't know? So many times we're, all, we're around people, they already know we're a Christian. They believe like we believe. We're all cool with all of that. But what about that lost uncle? What about that lost neighbor? What about other people and other things? What about at a, maybe God gives you a ministry in an abortion clinic or at a crisis pregnancy center or somewhere like that where you meet with the, the ugliness and the rottenness of life. When does that ever happen where they would ever have a chance to ask? To ask. We've got to engage the culture. So is anybody asking? Is anybody noticing that's the big thing that was on my heart. Nobody even seems to notice anymore. And in order to do that, you've got to be around them. And you've got to be around them more than just in a casual, every once in a while type thing. Now, God can work in that too. Don't stop doing that. But you've got to have some people, some neighbors, some friends, some work associates that you become friends with over a long-term period of time so they begin to notice you're different when the boss yells at you. You're different when you didn't get the promotion that you wanted. You're different when somebody makes fun of you. You're different when you're tired. That type of thing. And then they begin to ask the questions. John chapter 15 verse 18 says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And uh, if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Okay, Jesus, you just motivated me to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Except that the people he said that to did it. They did it. Paul preached on Mars Hill, right? 
Think about all of the things. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and even said, you crucified him. Boy, that'll get you in trouble, won't it? And the gospel spread like wildfire. Why? Because they weren't afraid of the persecution. Well, what made them not afraid of the persecution? Because their lives were built around exalting Jesus Christ, equipping the saints, evangelizing the lost, and in order to do that, they had to engage the culture. Sometimes it went really, really well. Sometimes it didn't go so good. Right? So you got to be ready for it. And you got to do it. The Bible says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, uh, soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I would have expected that out of Jesus. I would have. This next one I wouldn't have. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we engage with people that we love. And we don't engage because we don't really love. We don't really care. When's the last time it bothered you that somebody was going to hell? When is the last time it bothered you that somebody was making a wreck out of their life? I like to listen to Alistair Begg every once in a while in his Scottish accent. It sounds so cool. And he'll say that some people are making a dog's breakfast out of their lives. You know what? That means it's a mess. It's a mess. And we see it all around us. And we get angry. We get frustrated. I understand that. I get it. But do we really love them enough to engage them and do what we can? Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexual, sexually immoral of this world. Or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or a reviler, a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those Inside the church whom you are to judge, God judges those outside. Purge evil, the evil person from among you. You know what he was saying? Here you are going, well, I can't associate with the world. I must be separate. And then you're associating with ungodly people in the church and nobody does anything about it. Church discipline is what it's called for. Discipline the church. But go out and love the people in the world. Why? When did we ever get the idea that there's something wrong with lost people acting like they're lost? They can't help it. They're depraved. And we ought to be praying for them. We ought to be loving them. And we ought to be witnessing to them. Well, I'm afraid if we do, we'll become like them. Not if you're exalting Christ. Not if you're equipping saints. And not if you're really wanting to evangelize the lost. You see, if you want to evangelize the lost person, you don't have sex with them. If you want to evangelize a lost person, you don't gamble with them. If you want to evangelize a lost person, you don't all just have a, a, a drinking party all weekend with them. You don't do that. Why? You've got a higher and nobler calling. You don't want anything to mess that up. So you engage them out of purity and out of strength. And with the idea of a warrior and a battle who is serving his king. This is what this is about. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. 
But they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good works and give glory. There we are back to exaltation of Christ. See the circle? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this keeps us from becoming moralistic, angry, and good-for-nothing members of the kingdom of God. Moralistic? Oh, yeah, we live right, and we don't get it why nobody else does. But we're mad about it. And we're mad about what's going on in the world. Really? But we don't do anything about it because we don't care that much, and we don't really love. I'm going to close with a quote from Tim Keller. Churches that are filled with self-righteous, exclusive, sincere, or insecure, angry, moralistic people, ready for this, are extremely unattractive. Oh, come to our church. Are you kidding me? Did you see the frowns? Did you see people looking down their noses? Did you see all of that? Why should they come? And yet, it's what they desperately need. And while we may say welcome on everything, our spirits say, keep out. Stay away. Lost people are unwelcome. Sinners are unwelcome. And then we have the audacity to sing about Jesus being a friend to sinners. Because we're so proud and arrogant that we take it because it's good for us. But we're not humble enough to give it to anybody else. No wonder. No wonder. So I want to ask you to close with me today. By having an old-fashioned altar call. And I'm going to ask you, if you want your life to exalt Christ, to equip saints, to evangelize the lost, and to engage the culture in a positive way, I just want you to come and kneel in the altar if you can, because the church will never do it until you do it. Because the church is you. The church is you. So I'm going to ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes, unless... This speaks to you and you say, Lord, I want to be this kind of person. Then I want you to come up and just come and kneel in the altar. And we'll have an altar call and we'll pray together about that. And trust God to change us. I don't want the flavor of the month. I don't want us to constantly be chasing fads. I want us to stand on truth in the love and the grace and the mercy and the firmness of the Lord Jesus Christ for His glory. I'll give you some time to pray. Oh, Father, as we think about this, we're not talking about personality types. It's easy for the extrovert to appear to do some of these things, but that's not really what we're after. We're not asking you to change our personalities. This is not a group therapy self-improvement session. We're asking, Lord, that the Spirit of God would change us. And Lord, I think about <clears throat> on these four things, my struggles. I'm not naturally all that extroverted. So engaging people is difficult. 
Going up and just talking to strangers, difficult. Handing out a track, it's just difficult. It doesn't come naturally to me. And I know I'm not alone in all of that. I have to think about it and I have to work. But if I just focus on point number four, I'd be tempted to do it so the church will grow. And that's not really what we're talking about. I would be doing it because it would make me appear to be better and more spiritual in front of other people. And it's not. I've got to go back to that first thing. Lord, I want to exalt Jesus in everything I do. And in everything, in the way that I live, and everything I say, and the way that I look at people, and the way that I look at situations. And for every ministry in our church to be there to exalt Christ. And I pray, Lord, that that would be true of all of us. And I pray that we would also think about equipping the saints. I don't know what our children and our grandchildren are going to face. Maybe it'll be better. Maybe you'll bring revival. Only you know that. But I have to think about this. What if you don't? And if we're not equipping them, and if all they see church as is just fun and games and entertainment, there's never any real purpose to it. We never get to the purpose. Plenty of time for everything except what really matters. Then how are they going to stand up like Daniel did as a teenager taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar? God, I pray that we could equip the saints, not so that we would have a big ministry, but that we might be handing off our ministry to somebody else, to be excited for somebody else to take our place, to be excited for someone else that we have trained and loved and prayed for to be doing better than we are. That's, that's where we need to be. And Lord, we need to have a heart for the lost. Sometimes we become so angry and self-righteous and moralistic about everything that we forget the reason that they're like that is because they don't know Christ and they're dead in trespasses and sins. And the only thing that will liberate them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And forgive us when we would agree to all of that and then give them an inept, insufficient gospel. Help us to give it the way it's supposed to be. And Lord, as we do it, to be enthusiastic and to be joy-filled and hope-filled and loving as we do it so that others see Jesus in us. And help us, Lord, to engage the culture. Not just when and if. We're, we're grateful for those. But there are those times when we need to just make it happen. We go see somebody intentionally. We stop by someplace intentionally. We see a group of people and we go up and talk to them intentionally. Lord, I pray that we would do that so that, back to the beginning, Christ may be exalted. Because everything that's going on in our world right now, wherever we may find it, the answer to that is really not political or anything else. It's this, if Jesus were exalted, everything would change. I can't do it in Washington, but I can do it in Oklahoma City. And I can't do it in everybody else's family, but I can do it in my own I can't do it in everybody else's neighborhood, but I can do it in my own. This is the way we've got to think. And I pray that we would. And before I close, I have to say, and God, forgive us when we haven't done this the way we should. And empower us so that we will. And be patient with us because we will fumble the ball so many times. But Holy Spirit, we're trusting you to correct that. And we pray a year from now we would be a whole lot better at this than we are right now. This is what we need. This is what our church needs. This is what our culture needs. This is what the United States of America needs so much. That Graceway Baptist Church would get committed to these things and touch the world for Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And if you agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Thank you so much. Amen.